So I want to uh, thank you for last Sunday. I got a ton of positive feedback, even for those uh, three deer hanging in the snow-covered bush, uh, which uh, I and I discovered many of you consider to be true work of uh, photographic art, so thank you. But I'll spare a few of you putting that picture back up. It's on my Facebook if you want to check it out, under photos, then under your photos. And it's the one Facebook has now blocked out with the warning this photo may show violent or graphic content. Really? Anyways, uh, you have to click it one more time to see it. I have the same photo down a little further, and it's not censored. Neither is one a little further down of 10, four, uh, of 10, no, four deer hanging in, in a garage, but whatever Facebook. Anyways, and I know this is a bit stereotypical, but uh, a couple of women let me know that the picture of those deer was not their favorite part of the message. But then they were so gracious and said, okay, I get why you did it. Maybe it even worked. Awesome. And so thank you for understanding. Also, a couple of guys talked with me after the message. They were pretty pumped seeing those deer, and they said to me, Doug, I've never hunted, and I really want to. And I'm cool with that. I'd love to help get a few guys going in that direction, maybe out to the range. And I realize I've made a commitment to a couple of you to do that and haven't done that yet. Spring's coming. But what I'm hoping that I'm doing is not just inspiring a few guys to take up shooting sports and hunting, as cool as all of that is. My hope, and I know this has happened because some of you uh, told me that this did, my hope is that you would make the connection that as powerful as it is to shed the blood of an animal like you see so often in the Old Testament, what that is in the Old Testament is a picture of how destructive sin is in our lives. And all of those Old Testament sacrifices were simply meant to point forward to Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, whose blood was poured out on a cross to wash away your sin. And we sang the old hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And last week, I wanted you to understand that there's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness. All we do is accept what Jesus did for us. You just come as you are to Jesus doesn't matter who you are, what you did, where you're at, where you're doing, what you're doing right now. You just come as you are and accept his free gift of forgiveness. So that was last week. And thank you for all of the feedback that you got it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if you weren't here last week, you can go to the Fort City webpage and watch or listen to that message there. So this week, I want to take a leap a bit forward. You come to Jesus just as you are. You invite him to come into your life, to fill you with his loving, life-transforming presence. You, you make a commitment to follow Jesus. You go public with your commitment through baptism. The question is, where is Jesus leading you? And, and that video clip of uh, Sir Walter Raleigh addressing Queen Elizabeth I, where he's describing his life as a life of freedom and terror all mixed together as he was on this journey to find a new country, a new world, a new land. That's the kind of journey Jesus wants us to go on. Really, just hear me out. Jesus has a new life, a new world for us, and it's a journey, an adventuresome journey. In the film, Raleigh says, you live in the grip of fear. Fear of storms, fear of sickness on board, fear of the immensity. And isn't that true of all of us? Isn't that just true of life? We all live with these fears. I mean, some more than others. And how does Raleigh deal with his fear? Listen to his advice, his advice. Drive the fear down deep. Study your charts. Watch your compass. Pray for a fair wind and hope. Now, Raleigh, while he prays, while he acknowledges God, his hope is not so much in God, but rather what he calls pure, naked, fragile hope. 
<coughs> better described as luck. Our hope as followers of Jesus is not luck. Our hope is not fragile. Our hope is a rock solid. It's, as the old hymn says, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking sand. But sometimes following Jesus doesn't feel quite so rock solid. Sometimes you do feel like you're on sinking sand. And what I want to do today is kind of give you a bit of a raw look at what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because before you decide to follow Jesus, there are some tough things you should know about it. This is not stuff you always hear from preachers that often. I think because it might scare some of you off. And hey, I might. Sorry. (coughs) It is what it is. But if you get what I'm going to try to do with this message, if you understand it, embrace it, that's where the life transformation and adventure that we talk so much about at Fort City is found. Life, in a way that truly jazzes you, excites you, gives you a passion to get up and do what you do every day. And as you experience that life, you then experience transformation. Your life will become deeper. It will have more purpose. It will become an anchor for other people in the midst of their storms. And that life as you follow Jesus then becomes an adventure. Now, adventure sometimes scares the stuff out of you, right? That's part of what makes it an adventure. I I mean, if you can totally control it, then it's probably not an adventure, right? Now, I think a lot of us yearn for more adventure in our lives, but we push the adventure down. We won't pay the price. Adventure costs. And and so we let our fear, and and sometimes even common sense, push it down. And I want you to understand that following Jesus, it's not always common sense. But if you truly choose to follow him, following Jesus is an experience of life, transformation, and adventure. And the adventure is far deeper than what Sir Walter Raleigh described to Queen Elizabeth, far deeper. That also means the journey can get a little scarier than what Raleigh experienced, and that's part of the cost of following Jesus. So why did you? I mean, here's a question for you. Why did you become a follower of Jesus? Why do most people become followers of Jesus? I I think it's because we believe that life goes better with Jesus. Yeah, it does. And maybe we think that Jesus will make life go a little more smoothly. I I mean, that's kind of the popular idea out there. Come to Jesus and your life will be bliss. Maybe not bliss, but better, easier, nicer, something like that, right? Okay. As a kid, I was raised uh, in a mostly Roman Catholic home and Three of my four grandparents were passionate Roman Catholics. We were proud Irish Catholics, both sides. My grandfather on my mother's side was particularly uh, proud of the fact that we could drink, smoke, go into bar brawls, go to confession on Saturday, mass on Sunday, and we were all good. Yeah. There is, hate to admit it, some truth to the Irish stereotypes out there, which became Newfoundland stereotypes. I'm not saying it's all bad, just that it is. And my grandfather hang on to this little medallion. It was a medallion of St. Christopher. And some of my friend's parents growing up put St. Christopher on the dashboard of their car or the visor because St. Christopher was a saint who looked after traveling. So if you put St. Christopher uh, in your car, then you and everyone in your truck or car is going to be safe. No accidents. Hey, if you have St. Christopher in the car, I don't even think you need seatbelts, really. So you smile at that, but... Then, as I began to move from Catholic churches to Protestant churches, I remember hearing uh, some Protestant preachers rail against these funny, superstitious Catholics. Until 2005, when Carrie Underwood had the hit song, Jesus Take the Wheel. 
I mean, the song does have some good sentiments and some good ideas to it. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. Because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So give me one more chance and save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. And apparently this song is based on a real life and death driving situation where it's the testimony of this woman that her car was going out of control and she cried out, Jesus, take the wheel, and miraculously everything worked out. I think that's absolutely awesome. I do believe that Jesus can do that. But is that what Jesus means when he calls us to follow him? And in the end, is that any different than putting St. Christopher on your dashboard? I got another one for you for today's volatile Fort McMurray housing market. Just in case you might have to move from Fort McMurray at some point, what you need is the St. Joseph Home Seller Statue. So I have one here for you. All right. You, you can get these from Amazon. They are in abundant supply. Okay. And uh, I was actually surprised how many of them are out there. And uh, because apparently St. Joseph is the saint over real estate. But you didn't know that. However, my grandfather did, all right? Although I don't know if he ever did that. Uh, he was more into St. Christopher. So what you do is you put, Jane, you put this guy, you put St. Joseph, you put him near the for sale sign of your home when you're selling. In fact, I'm told it works best if you bury Joseph upside down by the for sale sign. And, and apparently, you know, in winter and things like that, it's, it's okay to put him in a flower pot near the for sale sign. And then there's this prayer you have to pray. It's included with the package, and that's what you need to do to sell your home. Now, if you were to ask Father Andrew Schoenenberger from St. John the Baptist downtown about this sort of Catholic stuff, he'd tell you it's a boatload of crap. Okay, Father Andrew speaks more nicely than I do, so he might not quite say it that way, but you get the idea. But Father Andrew would have to admit that some people in his church do believe and do this stuff. Friends, that's not following Jesus. That's magic. If you pray this prayer, if you touch this cross, if you pray in a certain direction, that's not Christianity. That's magic, a boatload of crap. Yet, yet even in churches like Fort City, sometimes we fall for this kind of stuff. You've got to do things a certain way. You pray a certain way. You, you, pay, you pray certain prescribed words to get God to bless you. You name it and claim it in Jesus' name. And while you wouldn't put it this way, you might just be turning Jesus into a good luck charm. And here's the truth about all this magic stuff out there. These good luck charms, this, if you pray this way, God's got to answer you. But you know what? All magic works some of the time, right? Think about it. Like if I posted on Facebook a method that I guarantee will work, that if you pray this way, God will answer your prayer. If I posted that fairly widely on Facebook, chances are someone would send me a story that it worked for them. It would work for someone. All magic works some of the time. You know what I mean? It's, it's just a matter of odds. It, it doesn't matter what it is. Someone will tell you it works. So here's something you need to know. If you want to follow Jesus, Jesus didn't come to be your magician. Now, I know you wouldn't put it so crassly, but sometimes, if we were really honest, we kind of act like that. Okay, we do really encourage prayer around here. We invite you to go to the prayer team after the service every Sunday, and we'll do so again today. We believe that God loves us, that he wants to bless us and answer prayer. But should that be the key focus as to why we follow Jesus? Just to get our personal prayers answered. You see, we've got to be careful with this, because if the only reason we follow Jesus is to have a good luck charm, a prayer answerer, 
we kind of miss the point of what Jesus is really up to when he says, follow me. Because what we end up doing is we end up asking Jesus to follow us than us following him. Hear me, Jesus loves to answer prayer, but that's not the key reason, that's not the primary reason why we choose to follow him. And you know, when you read through the, the books about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, and by the way, I, I just really encourage you to get into the Gospels. Uh, the, the Sunday Beacon Hill Community Group is studying the Gospel of John right now at uh, Eve and Mark Jakeway's home, and the Tuesday Men's Group is studying the Gospel of Mark. I'm not sure what the other groups are doing. We're learning about Jesus, and last week in the men's group, it was really awesome, the best I've experienced to date. There were 12 of us uh, from guys who know very little about Jesus, like nothing, to veteran believers like Doug Emberly of the prayer team, and it's just promising to be one exciting study. So if you're a guy, come out on Tuesday, 7.30. The Beacon Hill group meets today at 3. Starting in uh, February, we have a new Parsons Creek group, Mondays at 7. So check out our groups on that app that Luke was, was uh, telling you about, okay? But back to my point. You read these four Gospels, and you won't actually hear Jesus saying, follow me, and you'll be a better person. Although it's true, you will become a better person. He doesn't even say, follow me, and you'll go to heaven. Although that's true, too. And he certainly didn't say, follow me, so you'll have a problem-free, pain-free life. Although he promises to walk with you through your pain. So to help you understand where Jesus is leading you and what it means to follow Jesus, I want to take you to a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples, the 12. Now, this is an intimate conversation. Jesus is telling his closest disciples what they can expect if they follow him. Now, you need to know that what was about to happen to these disciples of Jesus, okay, it, it is not likely going to happen to most of us today, okay? <clears throat> so don't run and freak out as you listen to this, but... In the midst of all of this, there are principles here that we can learn what it means to follow Jesus and where he's leading us. So let's look at this conversation as it's found in Matthew, uh, the 10th chapter. This is a chapter where Jesus handpicks 12 men to be part of his inner circle, his disciples. He's telling these guys, as you follow me, I'm sending you out with the message that I have, and, and I'm going to empower you to do the same things that I'm doing. And then he gives them a few practical things like what to wear, how much money to bring, what to do if this or that happens. And as we read, we begin to get a bit of a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. So let's just listen in on the conversation between Jesus and his closest disciples. We call them apostles. It's found in Matthew 10. At this point, I'm grabbing a few thoughts from Andy Stanley. So let's just jump into the middle of that chapter. Jesus says, it's verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among the wolves. It's kind of a raw way to start, but Jesus wants his disciples to know that following him, serving Jesus, means working with some people who sometimes might end up being a little hostile to their message, despite their best intentions. I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And they're going, ooh, this sounds a bit weird, a little bit uncomfortable, not too safe, like maybe a bit of conflicts on the horizon, uh, sounds a bit rough. And it get worse. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Oh yeah, Jesus, that's what I signed up for. Yep, 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 Jesus, that's what I want. Okay, what, what Jesus is doing here is he's peering into the future. And he's letting these guys know what's ahead. And you read through the New Testament book of Acts, you'll see it happened, right? By the way, Acts 
It's got to be my favorite book in the Bible to read. It's full of action. It's full of conflict. And there's God in the middle of it all. And I think you'll love the book of Acts. Now, at this point in time, Jesus is incredibly popular. There are thousands of people everywhere where Jesus goes. And the apostles, they're popular too because they're with Jesus. So they're having a pretty good right now. And they're not expecting anything bad because they're just riding the wave with Jesus. But Jesus kind of upsets the wave they're riding and says, following me is going to lead into some pretty rough situations. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be flogged in the synagogue. Hey, flogging is being whipped with leather straps that often had pieces of stone and glass embedded in the straps. Not nice, very bloody. People often died after they were flogged. At the very least, you get permanent scars from being flogged. Like every time you go to the beach, everyone says, oh, he was a bad boy. Uh, He broke the law. And a permanent record is right there on your back for all to see. So maybe you try to find a more private part of the beach, I guess, when you're suntanning, right? And, And then Jesus says, on account, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And that happened. Now, These are Jewish boys who are very comfortable in their Jewish culture. Following Jesus means they're going to have to step into what they see as a very unclean, unsafe world, the world of people who are roughneck Gentiles who are not Jewish. This was just totally uncomfortable for these guys. And then about these Gentiles. No, they're not safe. They will arrest you. This is just getting better and better, right? But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. Jesus, if, if we follow you, don't we get a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Isn't that how it works? And uh, no. What happens is very different. It's going to be really different than that. And Jesus says, but it's going to be powerful. When they arrest you and put you in that stinking rat-infested jail, you, you don't have to worry about what to say to the guards or the judges because God is going to supernaturally empower you with the words to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Holy Spirit, your Father, the Spirit of the, your Father speaking through you. Well, that's not quite what I had in mind, Jesus, okay? Uh, how about supernatural power so that I stay out of jail, right? So Jesus is saying, follow me. You're going to get arrested, flogged, put on trial, and through it all, God will be with you. Awesome. And God will speak powerfully through you. It will be a miraculous adventure. Come on, Jesus. Won't you just take the wheel and keep me out of jail? Well, you know, if you read the book of Acts, he actually miraculously delivers Paul and Silas from jail. It's an incredible, miraculous story. But then there's another story, and he leaves Paul in jail, and He left John in prison on the island of Patmos. Jesus, come on, be a little more consistent, won't you? And Jesus hasn't stopped yet. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Nice. Sweet. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, right? Uh, Then the 12 say, you know, I'm imagining a little bit here. Hey, Jesus, you didn't tell us that part when you called us. Well, we kind of like the fact that uh, everyone likes us because of you. But Jesus is saying, hang on, because this popularity is not going to last. Boys, it's going to get rough. You know, there is a tension growing in our culture today about whether Christians are a positive part of our culture. 
<coughs> or not. This is a new experience for church people in the West. It's really not that bad yet, but there's a tension growing. Other parts of the world, it's a bit more, uh, it's a bit more tough. I've done compassion missions work on the Indian, Indonesian island of Lombok. Uh, it's just uh, off of Bali. And uh, a few years back, every single church in that island was burned down in, in one night, about 30 churches, if I remember correctly. And, and if someone chooses to follow Jesus in Lombok, Often they have to hightail it out of their village, go to a bigger urban area and find sanctuary with a Christian family because they could die. And on that island, the law would not intervene. Hey, for most of us today, what Jesus is describing is far beyond anything we'll experience in Canada and we don't live in Lombok. So don't get too weirded out on all of that yet. But what Jesus is saying here to his disciples There is something in this that he's saying to us today. Jesus is bringing his disciples to the place that he wants to bring you and me to. He he wants us to feel the tension that following Jesus doesn't always mean everything goes smoothly. That bad things still can happen to you as you follow Jesus. And, And so Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill a body but cannot kill a soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, Jesus is not trying to scare the hell out of his disciples, okay? He's, some preachers are all about that. Some love to preach hell. No, Jesus uses hell here to emphasize that being driven by the fear of men is wrong. It's destructive to their faith. Uh, rather, we are to be driven by the truth that God is real, that he's all-powerful, that he's in charge, and the best place to put your fear and trust is in the hands of God who holds our ultimate destiny. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't let bad, difficult circumstances overwhelm you with fear. Trust in God, who is in ultimate control. And that's why what Jesus says next is so cool. Uh, Jesus is not scaring his disciples. He's building their faith. I mean, look at what he says next. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus has just painted uh, this raw, rough picture of what is going to happen to his disciples as they follow him. And then he does this 180 and says, hey, don't be afraid. You are worth so much more than sparrows. And and here's where this gets really good for you and me. You, You see, when we follow Jesus, the question is, where is he leading us? Well, he is leading us to a place where our faith is so big and strong. He he is leading us to a place where we feel so secure in our Father's love that when all hell breaks loose around us, when we feel like God is nowhere to be found, when, when things are going from bad to worse, Jesus is saying to us, fear not, don't be afraid. I'm there right with you. So do you see what Jesus is and is not saying about what it means to follow him? Jesus is making it real clear that following him does not mean bad things won't happen. Following Jesus does not mean that he becomes a good luck charm for us. That's not Christianity, that's magic. No, what Jesus is saying is that when we follow him, we don't have to be afraid. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's when bad things happen, we remain confident about God. Friends, Christianity is a no-fear faith. In fact, faith and fear are opposites. Following Jesus means you develop confidence that he is so big, 
You are so sure of God's presence, so sure of God's love, so sure of God's protection that your faith in Jesus overwhelms and overshadows your fear. And in the process, you change for the better. In the process, you see God turning up in your life in so many different miraculous ways. You see God using you. Because ultimately, when we follow Jesus, <coughs> we're signing up to be part of his mission to see lives changed, to see this world changed. Following Jesus means you are on mission with Jesus. But it just might not be always a smooth ride. So to follow Jesus is to be on mission with Jesus. It's to serve Jesus where you work, where you live. It's to be Jesus and an instrument of his love to the people you're with. And this serving Jesus stuff. Sometimes you and I, you know, we hold back because of fear. Sometimes we're kind of afraid of what other people will think. Like, well, we don't want people to think that we're really super weird or anything, right? So let me throw a thought out here. Please don't confuse bold, passionate, fearless faith with being a jerk for Jesus, okay? They're, they're just not the same thing. Yes, I need to develop a bold, no-fear faith without turning into a jerk, and I apologize. I don't know why, but some Christians actually, yeah, become. And I'll leave it there. But a question that you should really ask yourself, what would I do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? How would that change my day? How, how would that change what I do at work? How would that change what I do with my family? What, what, what would I do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? Do you live every day confident that Jesus is there with you? Jesus says, follow me and I will take you to the place where you will have confidence in my leading no matter what's happening around you. There, there's an old picture I really like. I, I put it on the screen before. It's not a dead deer, so no worries. The picture I have in mind, I, I think it's in, you can still find it in uh, Sunday school classrooms and small rural churches in Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI. Uh, it's the picture of a young sailor navigating a, a ship through rough waters. And, and the rough waters are there. They're not going away. But standing right behind the sailor is Jesus. He's whispering, fear not, and he's pointing the way through the rough seas. I'm sure there are a few of you from the East Coast who have seen that. I think it's actually a little better picture than the idea of Jesus take the wheel. Not that Jesus take the wheel picture is all wrong, but, you know, Jesus doesn't live his life for us. He doesn't drive our life for us. He doesn't make our decisions for us. What he does is he invites us to do life with him, to follow him, and he asks us to serve him, to be a part of his mission in this world. And he promises to go with us, to lead us, to to give us guidance as we navigate tough times and experience the exhilaration of a wild ride with Jesus right there with us. So from a purely uh, human perspective, it, it can look downright scary out there, but the Apostle John tells us, hey, there is no fear in love. Jesus loves us. There is no fear in that love. So to truly follow Jesus is to allow his love to push the fear out. When you get rid of the fear of people who can hurt you, when you get rid of the fear of what you imagine might happen to your kids, when you shake the fear that your job is not secure, that your finances are getting messy, that your health is going south, that your spouse is not being faithful, when you get rid of the fear and allow faith and confidence in God rise in you, it sets you free then to get out there and live a powerful life 
a life of impact and purpose. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you not to be afraid, even when there seems to be so much to fear, because perfect love, the love of Jesus, drives out fear. So in the middle of all of the stuff of life that you go through, the storms that you navigate through, and the good and bad that just is life as you follow Jesus, Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am with you. And then he says, you know, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus, don't say that. But he kind of promises us that trouble's coming. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So do not be afraid. And if you follow me, this is where I want to bring you, to the place where you're not afraid, to the place where your faith and confidence in God overcomes and pushes away all your fear. So follow me, because this is where I want to take you, to the place of no fear. Because that's where the adventure is found. Life, transformation, adventure. Fear not, he is with us. To follow Jesus is to live a life with no fear. And that's a pretty awesome way to live. Would you bow with me for prayer? And, and, and this week, just let me kind of pray for you, would you? And just listen and receive as I pray this prayer over you. Heavenly Father, we are people who just struggle with so many fears and so much stuff. Even now, I know that there are people who think, oh man, how do I do this? How do I get my eyes off of my ex-husband? How do I get my eyes off of my failing marriage? How do I get my eyes off of my financial situation? <coughs> how do I get my eyes off of, you know, the fact that I don't have a job right now or I'm alone again and God, I'm doubting. So God, for everyone as they filter this message through their circumstances, through their fears, give them eyes to see what it would be like to have confidence so great in our Heavenly Father in the midst of fearful circumstances that we would refuse to allow fear to control our perspectives and our decisions. Father, just give us eyes to see. Give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard. And lead us. Lead us. Would you lead us to the place where we can say with the Apostle Paul that we know, we don't simply believe, we know that in every single thing, in all things, God, our loving Heavenly Father, works for the good and for, his, for our good and for his purposes. Yeah. Help our unbelief. And God, teach us to follow. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.